Hebrews 11, verses 23 to 31. In Neil Cole's book, The Organic Church, he tells a story about two men who saw an advertisement uh, by local farmers who were tired of having a pack of roving wolves eating their livestock. And so these farmers put out an advertisement offering $500 per wolf taken dead or alive. And the two entrepreneurs saw this ad and they set off with their camping supplies and their rifles. They spent a couple days of fruitless hunting and then they collapsed in fatigue in front of a warm campfire that they'd built. They nodded off and in the middle of the night, hearing a noise, one awoke only to see the glow of the fire reflecting off of eyes and teeth all around them of a pack of hungry wolves. Slowly, yet urgently, the one who woke up reached over to nudge his partner awake. And in a hushed and frantic tone, he whispered, Jerry, Jerry, wake up. We're rich. Which is a great introduction to today's passage as we remember the story of Moses as well as Rahab. Because the optimism of that wolf hunter and his ability to have eyes to see more than most of us might see in that situation is what faith is like. Now, I'm not saying that guy had faith. I'm just saying, as Hebrews reminded us earlier in this chapter, verse 1, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith looks into the dark and sees the possibility of a better future than the one everyone else sees. And faith acts and chooses and lives accordingly. Why? Because going back to verse 6 of chapter 11, anyone who comes to God, who draws near to God, must believe that God exists and must have faith that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's, or there's a, a better future. There's our rewards in store for those who put God first and who earnestly seek God. And that's exactly what we see illustrated and played out in the life of Moses and Rahab in today's passage. They choose, they endure short-term pain because they've got their eyes firmly set on long-term gain. And so let's take a look at their stories. First of all, the story of Moses. As the author of Hebrews tells or retells the story of Moses, remember that it's being told to encourage the original recipients of Hebrews. They are discouraged. They're suffering. They're being persecuted and pressured. And so they're thinking of packing it in and giving up on their faith in Jesus. But the author of Hebrews had encouraged them in the last verse back in chapter 10, we don't belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. And so as the story of Moses is now being recounted, the, the author of Hebrews is going to pick 
scenes and details from Moses' life and interpret them in a way that his or her audience will relate to, that will be meaningful to them. That's what good preachers do. And, and what we're going to see is that the seven vignettes that the author of Hebrews shares with us really give us a wonderful, multifaceted picture of what it looks like to be a person who has faith. A person who can see what most people can't see. That God has rewards in store for those who earnestly seek Him. And so, people with faith have their eyes on the prize, as they say. So let's take a look. The first vignette in verse 23 of our chapter isn't really about Moses' faith, but about his parents' faith. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Moses' story begins when he's born in, into a time of horror in Egypt where Pharaoh, the tyrant of that nation, has made a decree that every Hebrew baby boy living in Egypt is to be thrown into the Nile River. But Moses' parents, who are Hebrew slaves, like all of God's people, the Israelites, they're, they're slaves in Egypt, and they courageously refuse. They hide baby Moses instead. Why? Well, no doubt because they loved him, but even more because they see that he's no ordinary child. This phrase, no ordinary, can also be translated beautiful, well-bred, or high class. There's something about baby Moses that's extraordinary. And so on top of their love for their child, what these, this slave couple sees is that their son, uh, or what they see in their baby son, boosts their courage not to give him up. And so we see the first facet of faith here. Faith gives us courage to do what's right, even when it may be costly or dangerous. Courage doesn't mean we don't feel afraid. It means that we do the right thing even though we are afraid. Have you ever been in a situation, maybe at work, maybe at school, where doing the right thing was risky, it was dangerous, it was costly? Did you have the faith? To do it. Well, the second vignette in the story of Moses, if you know the story, you know that God honored the faith of Moses' parents and God intervened in the Mo Moses' life so that as a baby, he winds up being adopted by Pharaoh's own daughter, the princess of Egypt. And so Moses grew up in the palace among royalty in a station fitting for what his parents originally saw in him, his beauty, his extraordinariness, his high-class, well-bred quality, whatever it was that they saw. He grows up in a palace among the high class with the best education. But then the story takes a turn, verses 26 to 20, or 24 to 26. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refuses to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. 
Now, the author of Hebrews makes a couple surprising and striking points here in the way that he or she tells the story. First, that Moses chooses mistreatment with his people, God's people, the Hebrews, rather than enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. The way the book of Exodus tells the story, when Moses has grown up, one day he goes out to see his own people who are slaves, and what he sees among other things, is an Egyptian taskmaster abusing one of his people. And in that moment, Moses makes a fateful decision. He jumps in and he rescues his fellow Hebrew. He kills the Egyptian taskmaster and hides the body. In that moment, Moses made a choice that in one sense was an act of violence and murder. But given the ruthless oppression of the Hebrews by the Egyptians, the author of Hebrews adds that whatever else it was, Moses' action was an action of faith. Because in it, Moses was choosing to identify and to side with his people, God's people. And in doing so, Moses was turning his back on what? A life of luxury and power and privilege and status and the bright future that he had in the royal house of Egypt? Well, that's we might call it what we, we might call it, but the author of Hebrews actually calls it a life of sin and the pleasures of sin. And if you think about it, from what we know of Egypt in the story, and especially the royal house of Egypt, it was a life of sin, of, of oppressing other people, of cruelty, of violence. Well, and then here's the second striking thing the author of Hebrews um, has to say. Verse 26, Moses regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Disgrace for the sake of Christ. Now wait, Moses lived 1,500 years or so before Christ. Well, again, the author of Hebrews is applying the story of Moses to an audience that, who are coming along a lot later in history, right? Who are facing persecution for Christ. And so the author is saying to his original audience, just as Moses gave up all the treasures of Egypt to side with God's people with, with a band of despised, persecuted slaves, so what are you going to value more? All the treasures of the world? Or a Lord who was crucified on a cross, the most shameful way to die in that, in that day, and a people who follow that Lord, who have been told that we must take up our crosses also. And so who through history, this is a people who have been disdained and mocked and persecuted and looked down on. And so the, the author of Hebrews is asking his, his or her original audience and us as well, do you have faith like Moses? Can you see, as the end of verse 26 puts it, that God has a reward in store for his people who, who are, are faithful, who persevere, who endure in being faithful to God? Faith involves seeing things differently than everyone else sees them. Just like that wolf hunter at that campfire. Just like Moses, who looked at a life of comfort and opportunity and advancement in Egypt 
and chose instead to side with God's despised, persecuted people. This aspect, this facet of faith is about how we position ourselves, who we side with, who we choose to identify with. At school, if if you're a kid, do you side with the popular kids or, or those who can help you be liked by everyone else? Or do you position yourself with those maybe who are being bullied, who are being teased, or who are trying to do what's right? That's hard, right? It takes faith. And adults, for us at work or in our neighborhood, do we side with those who can help us get a promotion or access to to the resources we want or the influence we want? to get into the circles we want? Or do we position ourselves with those who need support, who are vulnerable? Here, what we learn about faith has to do with who our people are, who we position ourselves with. Faith also has to do with some big life choices. It did for Moses. What what are we going to do with our life And how are we going to position ourselves in life? Are we looking for treasures like Moses had in Egypt? For advancement, for opportunity, for notoriety, for comfort, for prosperity? Or do we realize, while not always sinful in itself, all of that is fleeting? And there are far greater rewards than those things. And the way we get those rewards will involve positioning ourselves differently in life, making different choices. It will mean siding with, identifying with God's people and God's, the mission of God's people. And often this means positioning ourselves with and alongside the last, the lost, the least, and the lonely. That's why as a college student, I was headed in one direction. I was looking for a good job to make a good income, to strive for a management level career. But then I met Jesus and he said to me, change your life. Change your direction because I want to change your heart. I want to give you a desire to help people and to love people. And God did. And so I changed my plans. And it was an act of faith, realizing that the pleasures of sin, the treasures of Egypt, they're fleeting. And meanwhile, there's a reward that I can't see, that you can't see yet, but it's coming for those of us who position ourselves in line with Christ's concerns. Well, that leads us to the third vignette in Moses' life, verse 27. And to tell you the truth, it's not clear if this one is about Moses leaving Egypt, fleeing for his life because of the Egyptian he killed, or if it fast forwards to after Moses meets God at the burning bush sometime later and is called and commissioned by God to return to Egypt to set God's people free from their slavery, and then they all leave together. Here's what Hebrews says, by faith, Moses left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. And whichever part of Moses' life this is referring to, or maybe both of them kind of smushed together, 
two parts are clear. First, Moses wasn't afraid of Pharaoh's anger. Pharaoh, the most powerful tyrant in the world in Moses' day, and the one who was one who was angry, livid at that. Again, courage is not about how you feel, whether you feel afraid, but it's about what you do when you are afraid. And what Moses did was stand up to Pharaoh continually, repeatedly. Why? How? He persevered because he saw him who's invisible. Or another way this could be translated, Moses persevered in seeing him who is invisible. The second point that's clear in this verse is about what gave Moses his courage. And that was that Moses kept his eyes on God. The one you can't see with your physical eyes. Again, faith is the assurance of things not seen. Moses, just like his parents, saw things others didn't see. Saw the future reward and made life choices accordingly. Moses was willing to endure short-term pain for long-term gain. And this gave him courage to be faithful to God and to trust that if God had a purpose for Moses' life and a mission for Moses to fulfill, then the most powerful ruler in the world wouldn't be able to stop it. Well, if you know the story of Moses, he continually confronts Pharaoh repeatedly and warns him that God is going to bring 10 plagues on Egypt, which God does one by one. And the 10th is the knockout punch that finally humbles Pharaoh enough and persuades him to let God's people go. And it's described in the next fourth vignette in verse 28. By faith, Moses kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. God sent the destroying angel to kill the firstborn sons of Egypt. But God told the Israelites, take a lamb, slay it, eat it, and put some of its blood over and around the door of your house and stay inside then. Because the angel of death is going to be stalking the streets of Egypt, but it will pass over all the families who are covered by the blood. And by faith, this is what Moses did, and it's what the Israelites did. And maybe it seemed at first like a silly ritual to them, but they obeyed it. They stayed inside their houses, inside the doorways that were sprinkled with that blood, resisting the urge to go outside to see what was happening, to check on a neighbor. They trusted God's word, and so they lived. Then fifth vignette. After that final plague, Moses sets, or Pharaoh sets the, the Hebrew slaves free. He says, go, they leave Egypt, but then Pharaoh changes his mind. He didn't want to lose his free labor force. And so he took his army, he went after them, and God's people wound up being hemmed in, pinned between Pharaoh's, uh, Pharaoh's army approaching behind them and the Red Sea, which is in front of them. And they cry out, and God tells them, Go and step into the water of the sea because the waters are going to part. I'm going to part them and you're going to walk through on dry land. 
So verse 29, by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they tried to do so, they were drowned. The Egyptians went into the water out of malice and greed, not out of faith. And they had the waters crushed back in on them as the Israelites had crossed safely through. For the Israelites, this act of stepping into the sea, it took faith on their part. They, they as a mass of people, as a huge crowd, had to walk toward and into the water, trusting that the waters would part and stay parted until they got through. If the waters didn't, they were goners, facing either drowning in the waters ahead or attack from the Egyptians behind. Faith involves taking steps out of obedience or desperation or both when, when you can't see if it's going to be okay. But you do trust that the invisible one is there with you and for you. Well, then in the sixth vignette, after the Israelites are rescued by God from the Egyptians, fast forward another 40 plus years after wandering in the wilderness, because at that point they had very little faith to keep going. And God is finally now, after 40 years, bringing them into the promised land. The torch of leadership has passed now from Moses to Joshua. And the first obstacle in their way as they seek to enter the land is the seemingly impregnable strategic fortress at Jericho. It had high, thick walls. It was well defended. And God told Joshua and the Israelites, here's what you're going to do. I want you to simply march around the city one time every day for seven days. And on the seventh day, march around seven times and then cry out and blow trumpets. And then we read in verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. Boy, if celebrating the Passover might have seemed like a silly ritual to some of the Israelites, then Jericho must have seemed like a silly strategy, right? <laughs> They're facing almost impregnable walls. They should be building siege works and, and bringing in battering rams, but instead they're simply marching around the city and then blowing trumpets. But by faith, they obeyed God, right? And God did the impossible. God called, caused the walls to crumble. Which leads to the seventh and final vignette. And here we move to the faith of the prostitute Rahab. She was one of those living in Jericho when Israel was getting ready to attack it. And while the rest of Jericho were trusting in their walls and preparing to repel the attack, Rahab, by faith, saw that the God that was with the Israelites was greater than her gods and the gods of her people and greater than the strength of her city's walls. And so when some Israelite spies came to the city ahead of time to spy out the city, Rahab took them in. She sheltered them. She collaborated with them. And she asked them to protect her when God gave them the city. Which they did. And so we read in verse 31, By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. So like Moses so long before her, who positioned himself against Egyptian royalty, 
and with God's oppressed people. Likewise, Rahab identifies with, positions herself with God's people instead of with her own pagan city. And in so doing, she's saved. She has faith to swim against the tide, to take a risk by siding with God's people who were her own people's enemies. And the question is, do you and I have faith to do that? To stand against those who are disobedient, to stand up for the way of Christ. The other striking thing about this last vignette is that it lifts up Rahab, a prostitute. Notice Joshua is alluded to in verse 30, but he doesn't even get a mention by name. Even though he was the great, courageous, brilliant, faithful military leader who led all the campaigns of conquering Canaan, but it's Rahab who gets a shout out by name. Why? Because God doesn't see people the way we look at them. God does not value men over women. God does not value people who've kept all the religious rules over prostitutes. What does God value? God values faith. God values faith. Those who come to God, no matter who they are or what they've done, and who put their trust in him, and depend on him for their very lives. That's who God values. And anyone can do that. A prostitute can, you can, I can. And so as we stand back from all of this, what have we learned about faith from all these vignettes? Well, going back to our wolf hunter, <laughs> who had the optimism to see possibility where many people would see only danger, Faith sees what others can't see. Faith sees God, that God exists, and that God rewards those who earnestly seek him. And so people who have faith are willing to risk short-term pain for long-term gain. And as a result of faith and in response to our faith, God acts, God responds. One response of God when when we put our faith in him, is that God exerts God's power. We, we see this when Moses, by faith, has courage to confront Pharaoh, the enraged tyrant, and God's power is unleashed in ten plagues to break down the pride and arrogance of that tyrant, to humble Pharaoh in Egypt so they'll let Israel go free. We also see this when Israel trusts God enough to step into the waters of the Red Sea and God powerfully parts the sea and leads his people safely through. We see God's power further when Joshua and the Israelites obey God's crazy plan to walk around Jericho seven times and God shakes the walls until they come tumbling down. Right? What power! When we place our faith in God, God unleashes his power. Then also a second response on God's part to our faith is that God offers us not only protect, uh, power, but protection. We see this with the Passover. When the destroying angel was ravaging through Egypt, killing the firstborn, but the Hebrews in faith 
kept the Passover like God instructed them, and God protected them. God caused the angel of death to pass over their houses, keeping them safely inside. We also see God's protection in the case of Rahab. God leveled the walls of her city, allowed it to be destroyed, but Rahab, the prostitute, by faith, sided with God's people, positioned herself on God's side, and God protected her from this destruction. And God gave her a place among God's people and a new life as one of God's children. When we put our faith in God, God offers us protection. Power and protection. Two ways that God responds to our faith. But also, let's not leave out that sometimes when we have faith and we have the courage to stand with God against those who oppose God's way, sometimes the result for us is poverty and persecution and pain. Moses experienced this along with all the power, leaving the riches of Egypt to throw in his lot with the slave people. And the original audience of Hebrews experienced this too. They were experiencing it when this letter was written. That's the whole reason this original written sermon was addressed to the Hebrews. To strengthen them and to encourage them in the midst of their suffering and to warn them not to turn their back on Christ, whatever the cost. Hebrews is pointing them to the future so that they can see what is impossible to see without faith. And that is the rewards that lay in store for them if they persevere in being faithful, even if there's pain, even if there's persecution. So sometimes when we place our faith in God, we experience God's great power. Sometimes we experience God's protection. And at the same time, sometimes we also experience poverty and persecution and pain because we're faithful. But we keep trusting. Why? Because we can see something by faith that others can't see. And that's the future. And the amazing rewards God has in store for us, as we saw last week. And so by faith, we endure short-term pain because we've got our eyes set on long-term gain. Let's pray. God, open, your, open our eyes to see what's invisible, to see you, and to see that you reward those who earnestly seek you, that you have in store for us a city whose author and builder, designer is you, which will endure forever with foundations that can never be shaken, and a life in that city and in that country and God, show us what it looks like for us to put our faith in you this week. Whatever faces, choices we face, whatever decisions we have to make about who we position ourselves with, who we come alongside of, show us what it looks like to trust you with it all. In Jesus' name, amen.